Our scripture reading this evening is Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 9. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall, be, your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. That shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud? and like doves to their windows. For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. If... uh... I have ne- if you've never seen me before, I mean, I know a lot of the, the way folks, hopefully they know me by now, but if you've never seen me before and I've never met you, um, I, that's a really amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Let me tell you why. Um, uh, six years ago when I met the Gregory's, Michael and Beth, um, and they started talking about planting a church in Alhambra, um, we started praying that Bridges would be a church um, for people we didn't even know yet. So if I haven't met you, that's an answer to prayer <laughs> uh, in a very odd way. I hope to meet you afterwards, by the way. Uh, that, that'd be nice. All right, so I'm going to get in some shade here. Um, I know that the, the Bridges people, uh, it, you're going through a series in Exodus, okay? So this is a timeout from your series in Exodus. It sounds like a really good series. I'm going to rip off Michael and Richard, and we'll probably do a series on Exodus in the future. I'll have to do less work. I've heard it's great. I looked at a lot of some of the stuff and I heard from Michael and Richard, um, but we're in the middle of a series of a faith and work series. And that is the intersection of what you believe of and in your following Jesus, how that intersects with your employment, your vocation, your calling, what you do uh, Monday through Friday, typically. So I'm gonna just give you a really, really, really micro fast recap and catch you up right? So you don't even have to listen to four other sermons. All right. I'm going to do that in like two, three minutes. You're going to be like, oh, thank you. I don't have to listen to those sermons. Okay. So let me give you a micro recap. And this is what uh, we've been using uh, Bob and Shirley as two people, as uh, a foil, a composite of all the vocations in all of us, what we do for our money, how to pay our bills, pay for our family and help our neighbors. 
um, and Bob and Shirley, uh, let's assume they are just dedicated Christ followers. Let's just assume that. They are hyper attenders and they do all the programs and they give their resources. They go on trips and mission trips and blah, blah. They are hyper involved. And uh, if they are hyper involved, that's really only about 5% of their time. Only 5% of their time. So, so we know this is that um, uh, if we're talking about your work and your employment, that's going to be over 33% of your life. It's, you're going to do more work than be around your loved ones, most likely. Sleeping is also a third. So that takes a little bit out. So um, this is what we said is that um, whether you work at home in a domestic economy, whether you work in a corporate environment, whether you're an entrepreneur, whatever you do, your work is the biggest portion of your life. And I think the church, and I'm guilty of it too, has not addressed the biggest portion of your life as you follow Jesus. Okay, so let me give you a micro recap here. Is we said, um, look, in Genesis, God does a lot of amazing things. Like he accounts and he counts and he um, builds and he creates I, I mean, out of nothing. Um, he organizes and he schedules. He does all of these things so that when you all do that in your work, when you do that, you're just doing God things. That's why you have the image of God on you, right? You have the image of God and you're actually doing God things when you're at your work. When you are at your work, it is a highly spiritual event. And I'm not talking about you going to your workplace and proselytizing your coworkers. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about, no, your actual job, what you do. Okay, and then we said this. Okay, that's a great vision of work. God does work. I do work. I do God things in my work. That's a great vision of work. And then sin comes into the picture and it jacks it all up because when you go into work on Monday morning, guess what? You have a coworker that is so annoying. You have a boss that is incompetent. But I'm a, if you work for yourself, there's a problem there, <laughs> right? Right? I don't like my boss. <laughs> we'll talk about that afterwards. All right, so, so sin jacks it up. And so we can get discouraged. We can say, yeah, that's a beautiful vision you just said, but like, that's not my workplace. And you know it and I know it. And then we said, okay, how does work begin to be redeemed? And we kind of gave only really one angle to it. There are hundreds upon hundreds, but let me give you a, 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 an angle that we've been working with is most of us have done this. We have run to our work for our work to confer a only, what only a relationship can confer on our heads. This is what I mean by that. We've run to work and done a great job and done all sorts of projects and got all sorts of kudos and cash. And that job yelled back at us and said, you are beautiful, you are you are full of dignity and value and worth because look what you did. So we've gone to our work to give us what only a relationship can do. So this is the beginning of redemption is that Jesus um, says this, no, 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 no. My work gives you worth dignity. So you don't have to run to your job now for it to yell back at you and say, you are so amazing and so wonderful and so, so great. You don't have to have, so work can become something else and it, become, it starts to become redeemed. Um, 
Last week we talked about this, is that, oh, there's this question, like, is there a certain place in God's kingdom that he wants me to be? Because it says, oh, maybe I should, maybe there's a certain job he wants me to do. So we talked about discernment, knowing um, where God wants you to be with the abilities that he's given you. All right, this week, Bob and Shirley, they're like, okay, now that work is being redeemed, I'm going to look at my work differently because it doesn't have to yell good things at me and say, oh, you're so lovable now because you've done a great job. We don't need it for that. So now we're going to treat our work differently and say, I'm going to use my work to repair the world now. Now I am going to use my work to repair and restore God's creation because I don't need it to give me the what? The ego strokes anymore. So that's what we're looking at this week. So I want to give you this uh, foundational idea where we get this from OG prophet. Isaiah, Isaiah 60 and Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 60 and 61, Isaiah has this, and we don't really use this word a lot unless, I don't know, it's a Saturday and you're, you say, hey, I'm gonna make a vision board about my next 20 years. Does anybody do vision boards? <laughs> Nobody. Okay, I'm gonna cross this out. Don't use again. All right. <laughs> Somebody does a vision, but all right. So Isaiah has a vision. A vision is like, I am going to take a peek, either through imagination, but in Isaiah's case, divine revelation. I'm gonna get a peek of what life could be and will be. That's a vision. So he does. Um, in Isaiah 60 and 61, uh, these are the words that I have. Isaiah sees this future that is incredibly beautiful. Now, I'm going to tell you, you got it. Let's, let's be real here. Now, our modern moment doesn't think that highly of the future. Like, what's our popcorn? Well, uh, the future is a dystopia. It's Mad Max. It's Cormac McCarthy's The Road, right? It's Hunger Games. It's roaming feral zombies. It's, it's sentient robots gone rogue. That's our modern moment. We're just like, that's, yeah. I can't wait for the next episode. That's our modern moment as we look forward and we're like, yeah, we're probably gonna destroy ourselves and the planet. And maybe blockchain will help out some way. Right, like that's, that's what we are looking for. But not Isaiah, and this is amazing, is Isaiah looks forward and he sees a society that is full of light and in light, and it's just gorgeous. Now, this is what I mean by that. Um, it, it's not this heaven, like when, you, when I say, hey, um, think about heaven now, a lot of us just by default from, I don't know, pictures, whatever, car, greeting cards, we get this picture of some schmarmy, schmaltzy, sickening, sentimental heaven, 
right? L little pudgy naked babies on poofs of clouds playing a little harp. There's like Vaseline on the camera lens and it's real, I don't know, the edges are real ethereal looking. Who wants to go to a heaven like that? Hell nah. Not me, not you. Um, it's not even, all right, so, so uh, let me say this. Heaven's not even, uh, if, if you've watched this TV show called The Good Place, Ted Danson, Kristen Bell, it's not even the heaven of the philosophers. The heaven of the philosophers was just like, well, what if it's like an episode of like Oprah and all your favorite things are there, like your favorite yogurt, your favorite friends, and your favorite food, and you just get a, you just get to enjoy it like all your favorite, all your personal favorite things are there. Well, in the good place, they do that for eternity and they get so bored of their favorite things that they choose disintegrating non-existence over a boring heaven. So even your favorite things in heaven is kind of a hell. All right, so it's not that. This is what Isaiah say, sees in Isaiah 60 and 61. This is what he sees. He sees people, all, all cultures and nations and He sees different people and kings and rulers and nations streaming to this new society that is in the light. Um, he uses phrases like this, the abundance of the seas will come. He uses a phrase like this, the wealth of nations start to stream towards this new society in the light. And then he starts doing this. He starts name dropping regions and what they're really good at and they're coming to this new city. Let me give you an example. Um, well, you know, Qadar, <laughs> Qadar, right? With their flocks, they're so good. They have such great sheep. Well, they're bringing their sheep to the new city because you know, Qadar, they're so good at that. Uh, he, he name drops this. Um, you know those famous rams of Nabioth? <laughs> they're, they're bringing the famous rams to the new city. You know Lebanon, right? They're cypress and they're pine. They're bringing it to the new city. It's like saying this. Um, you know Kobe beef, right? And Wagyu beef, it's coming to the new city. Uh, it, it's like saying this. You know the um, Spanish-Iberian ham? That'll only set you back, what, 400 bucks a, a ham hock? It's coming to the new city. That weird Norwegian lutefisk, that national fish, salty fish, it's coming to the new city. You'll like it there. Um, pee pee pop noodles on Garfield? Who likes that? I do. That braised beef noodle bowl, it's coming to the new city. Do you see what's happening? 
every cultural artifact of what people make and create and do and put together and fashion, it's streaming to the new city. I love this phrase in verse seven of Isaiah 60. Um, God is speaking through Isaiah and he says this, you know what I'm gonna do with all this cool stuff coming to the new city? He says this, I will beautify my beautiful house with all of the work and creation that was done from across the globe. So, so, so there's, this, there's this sense where the things we make, the things we do, the things that we produce are gonna be better and more so in the new city. Um, and it won't get lost, it won't get moldy. It gets pulled to the house of God, the city of God. Because all of this massive innovation that you do, all of this work that you do, Monday, probably through Saturday, every little bit of work that you do is streaming to the new city and it will find a finishedness there. So, so Isaiah 60 and 61, it has this incredible, hopeful vision for like what you do. Well, Tim, um, I, to be honest, like I, I just, <laughs> I'm in spreadsheets a lot. Like Excel is kind of my life. Do you make good spreadsheets? They're gonna be in the new city. Cause there's countless things to keep track of. Um, this is not really articulated or expressed in our modern moment is um, we have dread. We have dread, I've read article after article in the past two weeks, interviewing older Americans and just interviewing them, surveying them about what they think is gonna happen 10 years from now. And it's sad dread. Okay, hard transition, no segue. I want you to stick with me. A young Jesus strolls into a synagogue that's in Nazareth. That's his hometown. Jesus is making a hometown appearance after a little stint away. This is in Luke four, if, if you're curious. Because what he'd been happening is that he'd been teaching at some synagogues in the area and word gets out and they're like, this Yeshua kid's not bad. Like he's a pretty good teacher. Um, so, so, so he rolls into the Nazareth synagogue and someone hands him uh, the scroll of Isaiah. He didn't ask for it. Someone hands him the scroll of Isaiah. So, so Jesus unrolls it. He's like, he's like, what, what? Okay, okay, okay. Finds it, finds the beginning of Isaiah 61. And then he reads this little section to the Nazareth, the synagogue in Nazareth. He reads this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, this is not normal in synagogue reading of scripture, and I'll tell you why, is usually you kind of read a lot. The kids would maybe zone out a little bit. Um, but Jesus just reads this and he hard stops, rolls it up, hands it back, sits down. And they're like, uh, you're not gonna... Could you say a little bit more? Now, we don't know it, but this is like um, the equivalent of Jesus doing a mic drop event, but no one knows <laughs> that it's supposed to be a night mic drop event. So, so he says, he's, he's sitting and he says, uh, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Good news, the future is not dystopian and it's not nothingness and it's not ethereal floating around in clouds. No, it's real. You can eat it and you can touch it and you can enjoy it. Um, the poor's poverty and their struggle isn't in vain when you die, right? It isn't in vain and then you just die and you're like, well, that, that stinks for you. You, just, you had a really hard life, but now you're dead. So, well, whatever. It's not that. He's saying this is the repairing has begun. The restoration has begun and it's swirling about me. Okay, so the crowd is of two minds on this young Yeshua guy. Um, the first crowd, you can read this in Luke 4, the first group, they, they actually say this. Wow, that's grace. Those are gracious words. That's what the crowd mumbles. Those are gracious words. Like they're like, whoa, what if, what if that's, what if it's not a dystopia? What if, what if that's true? Boo. Uh, <laughs> the second group uh, is, is very unlike that first group. And they're like, the nerves on that dude. Hey, um, does everybody want to throw him off a cliff? Uh, it's in Luke 4. I'm not making, that's not like some comedic relief for you. Like that's in Luke 4. Let's help the dystopia along by throwing him off a cliff. Um, this is interesting. Jesus hard stops right there and he does not read the rest of Isaiah 61. And that is crucially important. Why? The rest of Isaiah 61, you've got to read this this next week. Don't do it now. Well, you can. I mean, if you're completely bored by me, go ahead. Isaiah 61 will be better anyway. Isaiah, the rest of Isaiah 61 talks about this. It talks about how ancient ruins, ancient cities, ancient generations are brought back to life and restored to full on glory, not just at their zenith, but what they should have really been. 
Jesus' heart stops before that though. Um, Isaiah 61, it's like, it's like, it's this picture of like, hey, I'm gonna take all these vintage vehicles in junkyards and I'm gonna restore them uh, to better, better condition to when they came rolled off the assembly line. And, and, and Isaiah 61 literally does, you've gotta read this. I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna go through it, but it calls forth all of these vocations and jobs and titles all the cool things of every culture around our earth. Um, the phrase that Isaiah says is the glory of kings. You know, all the cool stuff we build, our cultures build. All the best expressions of ing ingenuity and creativity, um, so vast, so diverse. Um, Jesus doesn't read that part because he says, um, that's a future reality, but right now the beginning of the repair has begun and it starts with me. So that's why Jesus doesn't real, uh, read the rest. Um, the fuller realization of all your work and my work, that's gonna be done, that's gonna be completed later. So we can say this, um, the best of our work is going to get bester. I'll drop an S, add a T, the, the best of our work is going to be better. Uh, I, I was watching a documentary with my wife, uh, Melissa, and it was um, Won't You Be My Neighbor uh, about Mr. Rogers. Now, now I, I did fall asleep. Okay, so like uh, full disclosure here. I'm, I, can't, I can't fake that. Um, <laughs> so she had to report this next part to me. I actually didn't even see it. I had to go back and look at it. Uh, and it's about Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers. And for many of us, maybe that was a slice of your childhood. Um, and he was, he's this really gentle man and he was committed to fiercely caring for the development and the safety of and the, and the building of children. And um, at many times, I think Mr. Rogers was cruelly misunderstood, cruelly parodied even, and it actually cut him because he really was a gentle man. And so in this documentary, I had to go back and watch um, it was after 9-11, and, and so he wanted to do a show addressing um, the tragedy. This is for his young audience. He wanted to address the grief, and then he wanted to address the tasks ahead for his young listeners and viewers. And so he looks at the camera, and he says this. no matter what our particular job, especially in our world today, we are called to be tikkun halam. That's Hebrew for world repairer. He goes on, repairers of creation. He keeps talking. Thank you for whatever you do wherever you are, to bring joy and light and hope and faith and pardon and love to your neighborhood and to yourself. Uh, that Hebrew is what, that world repairer, that's Isaiah. 
Now that's a good start, right? What you do is beginning to repair and restore. That's a good start. But now let's talk about the finish because Isaiah envisioned a finish. There, there's a, there's a, a book, very, very tiny story by um, J.R.R. Tolkien called Leaf by Niggle. Leaf by Niggle. And it's funny is Niggle is a character. He's a painter. And, and, and uh, it's funny is Niggle is a word that means um, busy, ineffective, non-productive work. We would use the word puttering around either through procrastination or perfectionism is that you keep on working at it, but not much comes of it. Okay. And so uh, Niggle is this character. He's a painter. And the story opens that Niggle has a very long journey to make. And he doesn't want to take the journey. So if any of you ha are into literature at all, is especially we see this in, um, I don't know, uh, a lot of early English literature, is that if there's a journey to be made and no one wants to take it, it's just a metaphor for death. So Niggle sees death ahead and he doesn't want to die. Hey, that's like you and that's like me. And so, but he has to preoccupy himself with a project like you and like me. And so Niggle is a painter and um, he gets this muse and he imagines this one leaf. And he imagines the colors and the different colors and the, and the striations and the way that it curves and the way that it, it splays out and, and it starts to build. And he goes, oh, I could do this, I could do that, I could, I could build. But, but then something else happens is like, he, he sees the scene actually starts to get larger in his mind now. Um, oh, that leaf would be attached to branches like this and the tree would be just so. And that tree would be in a meadow that also would look just so and it would have these lights and these plants. And, then, and he said, the more he thought about it, the scene started expanding. Like, oh, it was, it was in a context of a forest and that forest was in front of some mountains. And then there were snow-capped mountains. Like the scene just gets bigger. So, so, so he's getting excited. He gets that muse, that artist muse, right? So he gets this massive canvas and he puts it up in his workshop. Um, huge canvas. And, and, and since he started with the leaf, what he does is he, he begins to paint this leaf, but his name is Niggle. So um, he's not satisfied with it. So he rubs out a lot and he works he works on it and then it's not just so, so he, it's, it's, it's just weeks and days and, um, and he's still on this leaf and, and he runs into two problems because he's just still on this first leaf and he has this massive canvas to go um, and it's what, perfectionism. He can't get the shadowing just right or the coloring just right or the mist and the dew on this leaf just right. It, it's not working. And so that, that bogs down his life work that he's imagined here. And, uh, and then the second problem that Niggle runs into is that uh, he's always busy doing other things as well, like life 
right? <laughs> he's got his family and he's got his friends and other res- civic responsibilities and, and his neighbors are always asking him to be a part of projects that they want him to do. And so he, he's really frustrated that he has all this other stuff that he does, but, but he's, he's a nice man. And so he does all of these other things. And, and over the course of his life before this long journey, um, Nagel gets a leaf done. And uh, the driver, he gets sick and the driver comes for him and we know it's death because we're reading the story and um, he's so sad. He's just weeping knowing that before he goes with the driver, he says, I, I haven't done it. I haven't completed it. I, I didn't have enough time. Like I have not done it. Totally dejected. So the driver takes, <laughs> the driver it's a nice way of saying it, takes Nickel. And the townspeople come and they discover a crumbling canvas. And they just see that leaf and they're like, wow, a lot of this was destroyed, but this leaf survived. So they cut out the leaf and uh, they put it in the town museum and they put a little sign and the sign says, oh, you got it, leaf by Nickel. And, uh, but that's not the end of Tolkien's story. He shifts scenes and um, now we're with Niggle on his train to the afterlife and he arrives and something catches his eye. And it's a tree and there's the leaf on the tree. He goes, that's, my leaf. Gorgeous. Complete. Finished. But it's, it's not just the leaf, it's the branches. And he goes, that's, they're, they're bending and flapping and wait, that's how I thought it would be. And it's, it's perfect. And you know what? So this is what he says. This is what he says. It, it's beautiful. He says, it's a gift. He's not talking about the art. He's talking about the the finishness of the beauty is a gift. And he's just overcome. His work wasn't forgotten. But in the realest of lives, in the truest forms of reality, it's finished and it's better. Now, I want you to picture this in light of Isaiah's vision. There is good news that repair has started and it will be more so later. Two, all of the cultural work and artifacts of the nations and what you do is gonna be brought to fullness. So, everything we do, everything we work at, has inaugurated something in eternity. Do you believe that about your work? Um, I have a laptop and I'm not kidding around here. 
It has hundreds of folders of ideas. Poems and short stories and novels and projects and plans and sketches and wood, woodworking projects, business ideas. And you know what? I don't think I'm going to get to them. Do you know why? I'm a pastor. You know what fires me up tonight? They're going to be completed one day. Your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain because they're being brought, they are bought and redeemed by the light and they're being brought to the light. Let's pray into that. Jesus, uh, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take our work, the work of our hands, and in your work and in your redemption, make them beautiful for your service, we pray. Amen.